Looking to create your best self, whether it's good for you lifestyle hacks, smarter ways to supplement, or tasty tips to fuel optimal health, Talk Healthy Today provides you the latest research tools and common sense tips you need to get and stay healthy starting today. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Talk Healthy Today. I am absolutely in love with doing this podcast. I would be thrilled if you rated, reviewed, and subscribed to the podcast. Now, on to the show. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Talk Healthy Today. I just read a fantastic book. Wow, it was really interesting. I know a lot about veganism. Just I've been doing health media for over 20 years, but there was still a lot of things that I didn't know. And I got to read about all these athletes who are vegans and are kicking butt. The book is called The Plant-Based Athlete, A Game-Changing Approach to Peak Performance. And one of the authors is here, the fabulous Robert. Robert, is it Cheek? Cheek. Yep, you got it. All right, Robert Cheek. Welcome. Thanks, Lisa. I appreciate you having me. Well, you know, it's so good to have you on the show. You know, one of the things that I noticed when I read all the stories, and there were so many stories of so many interesting athletes and, and what they do, there's this like common thread of uh, recovery and reduction of inflammation. And yet, when you look at what they're eating, it's similar but different. And I really like that because I think over the years, vegan eating has changed, right? And there is there is room for maybe a, you know, vegan pizza here and there, but there's still like the basic tenets of looking at the macronutrients, making sure you're getting enough. And you guys do a fantastic job of that. I know I just threw a lot out there, but I just, I'm really enthralled with the book. Yeah. Thank you, Lisa. That's, that was part of the plan. The plan was to show how versatile and diverse a plant-based diet can be. And so people come to this diet, uh, athletes of all types. And you saw there's Olympic athletes, there's Olympic gold medalists, there's world champions, there's record holders, there's former NFL and NHL and, and current NBA players and, and WNBA and, and women's professional tennis and powerlifters and runners, of course, all yeah. these athletes. And you're right. The thing that, that bonds them all together is a plant-based diet that is primarily whole foods based, which helps reduce inflammation and improve recovery and all of that and have a great nutrient to calorie ratio. But from there, they eat, you know, totally differently. If you're a, if you're a 100 pound figure skater, like, uh, you know, four foot 11, Megan Duhamel, yeah. uh, she's going to eat completely different than Nick Squires, who's 240 pounds and is a record holder in the state of California for powerlifting, picking up more than 600 pounds off the ground. You know, he's just going to eat a lot differently. And so there, there's really something for everybody in the book. And, and I personally interviewed about 60 world-class plant-based athletes Again, a dozen or so Olympians and many world champions and and people, some including who've been vegan since birth and still made it all the way to the Olympic Games and and, and won medals and be, it became world champions and became professional bodybuilders. Um, those three in particular, I'm, Jahina Malik, Kevin Hill, and Shonda Hill. And then uh, people like Fiona Oaks, who's been doing this diet for five decades now, since she was five years old and still competing at a high level in her 50s. And it's this... The omission of animal protein, the inclusion of super high antioxidant and anti-inflammatory foods, and really a, a nutrient to calorie ratio that's really, really important. Not just consuming tons of excess calories, just eating surplus for the right. sake of it um, with oftentimes dietary cholesterol or, or saturated fat or just extra, extra calories through processed foods and oils that are added to these refined and processed foods but getting the best nutritional return on investment as possible with dark leafy green vegetables, lots of fruits, legumes as one of the centerpieces of the, of a meal and, and root vegetables like potatoes as another, you know, major complement to uh, a centerpiece of a meal. 
and and then all the the grains and nuts and seeds that are that are kind of you know added to that as well to round it all out. So uh, it's been an amazing journey, and obviously it's been it's been well received. I'm so lucky, so fortunate to, to land on the New York Times bestseller list. And congratulations! Thank you. That I was a that. lifetime in the making. You know, this is my fifth book actually, but a decade, more than a decade of self published books. You know, led to this collaboration with Matt Frazier, and that was our goal. You know, two and a half years ago, we met up in person after being friends for a decade and said, you know what, let's write the plant-based athlete book. The one that includes Rich Roll and Brendan Brazier and Rip Esselstyn and James Wilkes from The Game Changers and Christine Vardaros and Fiona Oaks and Megan Duhamel and Dotsie Bausch. Like, let's let's not just have our perspective and our experiences and our first-person anecdotal stories. Let's tell all of these stories, the compelling stories of the world's greatest plant-based athletes, those who are, are, are far better competitors than me or Matt, and tell their stories. And that's what we did. And, and so far, so good. It's resonated with a lot of people. Well, that's what I love so much is that the stories are so captivating. And then you get to see what they're eating. I mean, you give their plans, their meal plans, how it differs and how it's similar and the different reasons for it. And at the end of the day, they just all want to perform at their best, right? And I just thought that was so inspiring. But then you go further than that. You know, I always say this on every show, but one of the reasons that I created the show is I want people to be able to take something away that they can instantly put into action. Well, your whole book, you can, I mean, you give us this guidebook so we can do it too. Think about it, Lisa. Uh what is every TED talk? What is every political right. speech? What is every uh, you know Grammy award winning accept, expect you know acceptance speech? It's it's storytelling, right? It's it's storytelling that resonates with people, and you, you don't always remember facts and statistics. I can talk about you know how how plants have sixty four times more antioxidants than than animal based foods do, and and the reason for that, and and how that one sixty fourth comes from the the plants that the animals ate, and then we ate their you know their muscle tissue, and we can talk about you ninety seven percent of Americans don't consume enough fiber, which is only found in plants, wow. and all this kind of stuff, and dietary cholesterol only found in animal based foods, and. But it's but it's the personal stories of someone who, like Josh Lajani, who was 420 pounds, a former college football player, grew up in the bayou in Louisiana, just a big guy. And he's like six foot three, too. Uh, I, I've met him in person a number of times and was as far from an endurance athlete as you could possibly be. I mean, 420 pounds. I mean, this guy, and he was incredibly unhealthy, drinking tons of alcohol, eating, you know, uh, squirrel and rabbit and kind of bayou food. Yeah. And and he got inspired by Scott Jurek and and got inspired by long distance runners, even though he had nothing to do with that sport, but he just was, he was inspired by a few individuals and decided to start running. And he ran a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And sure enough, over time, he dropped 240 pounds. I mean, he weighs less than I do and he's taller than me and, and he's 180 pounds and he actually won a hundred mile race or a 50 mile race, these ultra runs. He didn't just show up, but he actually won. And wow. stories of like Dotsie Bausch overcoming, you know, suicide attempts and drug right. addiction, uh, and went on to win an Olympic medal and be the oldest person in her sport uh, that she didn't even pick up until she was about twenty six years old when she started cycling as a as a therapeutic uh, method that you know advised by her by her counselor or by her therapist as a, a form of activity to to get out and do something, and so it's not that. These these individuals, I mean, it's it's hard to aspire to be an Olympian or the best in the world, but they all also started from somewhere too. They started from ground zero, like like we all do. And the idea with the book, and I'm so glad you mentioned uh, in in the plant based athlete that it's it's a how to book. You know, we hold people's hand along the way. We want to show you exactly 
how to be a plant-based athlete, the macro and micronutrients, the meal planning, the recipes, the food combining, the supplements, if you decide to do that and have these stories woven throughout. And so those act as aspirational uh, messages and inspirational stories that there, there's somebody that you're going to resonate with. Um, yes. You, you know, and, and I did as well as now I'm in my forties and I'll have to tell you, Lisa, reading, even though I know these guys, I've, I've, you know, known them for years in some cases for over a decade, but really interviewing them and telling their stories like, like Rich Roll and oh, yeah. Rip Esselstyn, Christine Varderos, Fiona Oaks, John Joseph, they're all in their fifties. They're all in their fifties. And, and, and Rip just set a world record at age 58, I think in 200 meter backstroke. And, and he's been, he was an incredible swimmer, of course, at the University of Texas and one of the top triathletes in the entire sport. And he was doing this plant-based back in the 80s and 90s. I mean, he's really old school. But like like Rich Roll, who just reinvented himself, you know, I mean, yeah. on his 40th birthday, collapsed on the stairs because he was overweight, unhealthy. Yes, he was a former collegiate athlete at Stanford as a swimmer, but we all go through those phases where we're not who we used to be. Not not nutritional. I mean, he was in rehab, you know, in my home state. He had drug addiction issues and was in rehab in Oregon and he came out of that. And he has this amazing quote that w- went viral on social media. And I we included it in the book. And it's something along the lines of and I may not be saying it exactly, but he said something along the lines of I didn't reach my athletic peak until age 43. I didn't, I didn't uh, start my podcast on, until age 44. I didn't write my first book until age 45. At age 30, I thought my life was over. At age 52, I know it's just beginning. And that, that, like, that just connects with me because oh, yeah. I retired from bodybuilding. You know, my backstory, you know, I've been plant-based for more than a quarter century since I was 15 in 1995. I was a long-distance runner, went on to become a bodybuilder, put on 100 pounds, 120 pounds to 220 pounds, but I retired around age 30 because, you know, some ongoing back issues that dated back to my teenage years from some sports injuries and, and my desire to write and wanting to pursue that and speak and travel around the world and, and just take some of the pressure off of being one of the few vegan bodybuilders in the world at that time. And, you, you know, I, for a while, I kind of thought like, you know, I'm, I, I'm done, you know, in my thirties, I'm, I'm done, but, but, but hearing Rich's words and how he, and, and now he's one of the top podcasters in the world. And he's, he's done all these amazing feats amazing. in his fifties. Like, you know, that, that inspires me. So a number of those athletes stories just really resonated with me so much. And I, and I know they will with readers too. Oh, I think so too. Yeah. I had Rich Roll on years ago and he was fabulous. I mean, yeah. probably over 10 years ago, he was great. I'd love to have him back. Put a good word in for me. Um, <laughs> He's yeah, great. yeah. Speaking of virtual, I watched the interview with him. Oh my God, you guys were so great. And I love when you talked about just think of the five foods that you like that are fruits, vegetables, legumes, grains, nuts, seeds. Because people go, Oh my God, vegan, what am I going to do? And right, then you right. realize, right? So talk to us about that because I thought that was yeah. brilliant. Like, yeah, oh, so yeah, you're I all like that. Yeah, so you're already eating tons of plant-based foods. Right. You're already oftentimes having a vegan breakfast, a vegan snack, uh, you know, vegan pre or post workout meal. You know, we're eating, I just had two bananas before this, you know, before this interview with you just now, Lisa. Like we, we, this is, these are the types of foods that we eat. We eat cereals or oatmeal or smoothies or fruit. Um, this is what we do. And, and we all love potatoes. I know many people in the form of fries or chips, which about have, have five times the calorie density as regular potatoes due to the oil yeah. that's added. But we, there's all these plant-based foods we already like. And when transitioning to a plant-based diet, you want to include the foods that you like best or else you're going to you know, get frustrated or disappointed 
or um, maybe even give up because you're like, well, what do I eat now? Well, take an inventory, you know, look at your pantry, look at your refrigerator, look at your countertops, look at your freezer. Um, You know, what are you really eating throughout the day? And I mean, people are eating breads and sandwiches and all this, and it's just swapping out little things here and there. People are already probably eating uh, peanut butter sandwiches or burritos that, you know, are rice and beans and avocado, lettuce, tomato, um, you know, tacos, these types of things. Many people are, are, are choosing to, you know, go for a vegan option instead of meat, you know, if tofu or tempeh or, or just beans are offered instead. And, uh, and that, that happens all the time. So I think it's important to identify, you know, at least five of your favorite foods in, in each classification of fruits, vegetables, legumes, grains, nuts, and seeds. And you even think like, oh, nuts and seeds, that sounds like bird food. You know, what am I talking about? <laughs> well, I mean, we, we like peanut butter. We like, we like almonds. We like walnuts on our in our oatmeal, or we like hazelnut butter. We like, you know, we, we like chia seeds and hemp seeds and flax seeds for their omega-3 and, and 6 benefits and you know, alkaline forming protein and, and all this stuff. So let's, you know, we like sunflower seeds. We, we, we like, you know, we eat bread with sesame seeds on it. Like these are foods that we do consume and we just have to be aware of that. So I invite people to make those lists and identify what you really like because that's what's going to uh, encourage you to eat those foods. And also on that note, Lisa, and I love seeing this quote. It's from uh, a friend of mine, Chef AJ, uh, who's a great chef and author and speaker. Uh, when, when talking about um, maybe less than desirable uh, nutrient-dense foods, you know, junk foods, she has this great quote that, sa- that says, if it's in your house, it's in your mouth. And so when we, when we make those decisions to, you know, we're craving sugar, oil, and salt. Like that's one thing that we crave. It, it sets off these dopamine receptors in our brain. We love, we love sugar, oil, and salt. But when we go shopping, when we're hungry, we buy all these things, these potato chips, these candies, these uh, processed foods in bags and cardboard and these frozen entrees and all that. Uh, if it's in our house, eventually we're, we're going to, uh, our, our willpower is going to go away. And we're going to say, you know what? I've already paid for this. I've invested into it. I've worked hard today. Um, it's a Sunday. I feel like sitting on the couch and watching sports. Uh, whatever the case is, it's movie time with my with my partner. Uh, you know, where are the the chips and 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 popcorn and 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 candy and chocolate and soda and all this stuff? But if we can do our best to keep some of that stuff out of our house and identify, you know what? I really really like uh, cherry season or blueberry mm-hmm. strawberry raspberry season. I, I love cherries. this. Yeah, I, me too. Me, absolutely. I, I even sometimes make trips back to my home state of Oregon based around cherry season, uh, mm. you know, or, or peach or nectarine or, or apricot season or, or, you know, whatever the season is. Um, it could be walnut and hazelnut season. It could be whatever. But let's identify those foods that we, we know we like and let's, let's have them, uh, in, in ample quantities at home and, you know, and, and use, use going out of the house. To do the, uh, the, the, the processed meals, the, the heavy restaurant food. You know, I went out yesterday with family, I had family visiting and yeah, I had a big meal of, you know, tacos and burrito bowl and all this kind of stuff. And sure, I probably had lots of oil in it because all restaurant food does and, and way more salt than I should probably have. But I'm going to eat the rest of the week. You know, we'll be at home for the most part. And so that's where the majority of my calories will come from. And so it's really, I think it's, it's making those kinds of conscious decisions about, you know, what's the return on investment of this food and how is that going to help my, not just athletic performance, but just my healthy, active lifestyle. Right. You know, I have a 16 year old daughter who loves to eat and she's very slim and she's very active. And there are some things that I have found that are vegan that she loves. And 
there's this one thing. It's like, yeah, it's got white flour and it. it's pasta, but then it has a bunch of beans in it and it has like the the cheese. I'm doing air quotes, right? You know, yeah. and maybe that's not the best every day, but if she comes home from school and she's really hungry, I'd rather her have that than something. You know what I mean? So it's like you have to make choices. I mean, every night for dinner, it's all whole foods all the time. At lunchtime, I pack her whole food. So she wants to come home and have, I, I found these vegan pizza pockets. They're amazing. Yeah. It's not an everyday thing. Sure, sure. And I remember also you saying in that interview with Rich Roll that for a while you thought that those didn't have a place. And then you're like, well, wait a second. I'm seeing some of these elite athletes even once in a while, yeah. you know, eating these things. Talk right. to us about that. Yeah, I got into this. Uh, I don't know if it's a trap, you know, but I got into this this uh, purity and perfectionism um, aspect. And that's, you know, I think we'd all agree that can be relatively toxic in the nutrition world, even the, in the fitness world, in the um, any, anytime you're trying to optimize something, even, even optimizing sleep. And if you're just obsessed about it to the point that you you miss out on all these other things because you need to maximize every single moment of it. <laughs> That's me. Th- th- <laughs> <Love> the <talk. laughs> then, then, you know, then it becomes a little bit toxic, but especially with food, right? Because we all have this, you, I like the word you used earlier and I've used it many times too. We have this intimate relationship with food. I mean, this is the stuff we put into our bodies, right? This is the, this is, these are the calories we put in our bodies and it's a very personal thing. It's a very intimate thing. It is how we identify sometimes. Uh, I mean, I, clearly I identify as a vegan and, and as a plant-based you know, individual, and I, and I have for 25 years. Uh, we have these, these ways that we identify with food, and we have this relationship with it. And you know, for a while, I was really what I was trying to do on a personal level was I was trying to live up to expectations of heroes that I looked up to. Uh, these are people like Dr. Campbell and Esselstyn and, and, you know, legends in the plant-based movement because they were endorsing my books. And I thought if they have a quote on the front or back cover of my book, which they have for, for years on numerous books that I've written, I have an obligation to uh, follow their exact guidelines and, and because I'm going to accept that endorsement. And I want, I, I don't want to mis, mislead readers or followers or anything like that. But then when I spent more time with them, including on this, this yearly vegan cruise that I've been on, uh, of course, we're not cruising these days, but uh, for 10 consecutive years on this vegan cruise, every single one of those 10 years, Dr. Campbell was on there and maybe half of those years, uh, Dr. Esselstyn was on and Dr. Gregor and all these people. And so when I'm up, up on, the, you know, the, on the top pool decks at, at nighttime, you know, at midnight, and I see Dr. Campbell eating vegan pizza, I'm like, oh, that's Okay. <laughs> Right. Let me take a deep breath here. Um, and I even have a photo with Dr. Michael Greger, who endorsed our book. And oh, he's, yeah, he's, you know, great. he's, yeah, from nutritionfacts.org and how not to die and how not to diet. Um, you know, major New York Times bestseller and all this. And there's a photo with us together on the cruise ship deck where he has, you know, pizza in his hand. And I realized like that's, that's okay because the majority of the rest of his calories, the rest of my calories, the rest of Dr. Campbell's calories, probably do come from whole, you know, plant foods, but this idea of perfectionism is, um, is challenging. And what it does is it leads to, okay, I wasn't perfect today. So throw everything out the window and I'm going to eat whatever I want. And I'm going to do it. So I'm going to do so because I want to, because I I've in, in some ways, I feel like even, even deprived a little bit when the, when the intention was to actually be as ideal and optimal as possible. And now look what I, I did. I created this stress around food I created this stress around the environment of food, my relationship with food, 
And now I'm feeling guilty and, and having to like, you know, eat food in the corner where no one can see me because what if they see that, you know, champion vegan bodybuilder Robert Cheek is, is eating something different than he outlines in his book. And it took me a little while to come to terms with that. It really yeah, did. Lisa. I it bet. took me years really to say that, that it's okay. Um, and part of that is, as I'm sure you're well aware, part of that is the, the stigma that comes with it and the response that can be there on, on things like social media right? where, you know, or I've been on tour. I don't know if I mentioned this during the ritual podcast, but I've been on tour and, and I've had doctors, plant-based doctors approach me at my booth and say, what are you doing? You know, promoting beyond meat and these protein powders and all that. And I'm like, I'm here in a, at an event at a fitness expo with a 99% non-vegan audience. Like I'm trying to get, I'm trying to meet people where, where they're at, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get them where they're at. If they're doing, they're obsessed because that's what I do. I tour at these, these events like the Olympia, the Arnold, the big fit expos. And I have for years. And and if if everybody there, essentially every single person there is consuming whey or casein protein. And we have these plant-based protein powder alternatives. You know, I want, I want the opportunity to introduce those to those people Uh, or, or, or the, or the beyond burgers and everything else. And realizing also that, you know, when the show is done, these, these, you know, the eight hour or 10 hour expo show, uh, me and my crew are going over to a vegan restaurant and eating these very burgers and, and milkshakes and all this. Cause we've been working all day on our feet, talking to people by the thousands, doing presentations on stage and all that. And we need some calories. And we've had like a few snacks of bananas over a 10 hour period. Like, and, and so it's, it's just basically, it's just being more uh, authentic about what the real approach is. It doesn't mean that I eat that way when I'm not on tour or anything like that. It means that that, that is a social, um, you know, a social experience with my, my colleagues and coworkers and fellow plant-based athlete speakers at this given event that we're at in whatever major city we're in. And it's a way to support the, the vegan movement by going to these different, different uh, restaurants and establishments and starting to normalize that relationship with that, that it's okay, you know, to have the vegan mashed potatoes and, and the tofu and the vegan mac and cheese with broccoli um, as long as uh, we understand what the foundation of our diet is. Right, which you get into in the book. But I want to say that when I got my master's in public health, the first thing they taught us was you have to meet people where they're at. Now, at the time, I was dating this guy, and I went to his house, and I opened his cupboards, and I flipped out because it was all kinds of junk food, like fruity pebbles and like every junk food. And I thought, I totally did the opposite. I'm like reprimanding him. You're a 40-something-year-old. How are you eating this crap? And blah, blah, blah. Instead of being like, okay, why don't we try to add some of this? Or have why don't we go to the market and get some fruits and vegetables? And why don't we... And, you know, it it took me some time to not be so judgmental as well, right? And I think the fact that if you're trying to get people off whey protein, you got to give them something else. Give them a vegan protein powder because you can't expect them to just completely change everything when they're used to a certain routine. You got to give them time. So I respect that you did that. And understanding that, and maybe you you experienced this firsthand, it sounds like you can't change other people. You can, you can inspire them. You can help lead them. You can encourage them, but you can't make somebody change. We can only change ourselves. Like that's it. And we can lead by example, but you can't force someone to change unless it's, you know, like an an infant or something, you know, a a one-year-old that can't make their own decisions and you're, you're the provider of their food. But with, with adults, we can't, we cannot, um, we cannot say you're going to change tomorrow. And this is exactly what you're going to do. And and here's why. Uh, But what we can do is lead by positive example and and show those different options or different alternatives and explain why they might be beneficial. 
if, if cholesterol is an issue or body fat is an issue or, um, or sodium is an issue, just show an alternative that says, Hey, this may, this is going to maybe taste the same, same texture, but it's going to have fewer calories, less fat, no cholesterol. And this might help, you know, help you with some of your long-term health goals and, uh, you know, give it a try. We'll, we'll, we'll go do it together. You know, something like that. Yeah. Well, eventually I must have changed my approach. No, I know I did because it's been over 20 years and we're still in touch and he credits his changing his lifestyle to me, which is pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, even though I was such a disaster in the beginning and, you know, just completely was like, you're, what are you doing to yourself? You know, when well, I met that, him where he's at, right. I figured it right, out. So. Right. And sometimes that wake up call is what, is what helps enlighten people as well. They're like, oh, I never recognize that. I didn't realize that. I didn't see it that way before until Lisa came in and, and showed me this this new way of doing things. And so, you know, we often have that, uh, th- those people in our lives that we can credit for a major shift, a major change, a, a major inspiration. Uh, and, um, and I think we all have those that we can think of in our lives. Like, you know, for me, my older sister is the one who inspired me to become vegan. She didn't force me to do it. She didn't make me do it. Uh, she invited me to attend this animal rights week at our high school and I watch videos of factory farming and animal testing. I listened to speakers. I read literature. I engaged in conversation. I was only 15 years old, but but I grew up on a farm and I lived next to a dairy and I was exposed to a lot of this stuff. I was selling uh, selling animals at the auction at the county fair and they were being turned into someone's meal. And so like, you know, it resonated with me. And, and, and just like when I worked for Forks Over Knives, I was back then I was doing like, I was, uh, I was coming off my, my bodybuilding career and I was doing like five vegan protein drinks a day and hundreds of grams of protein a day, thousands and thousands of calories per day, you know, because I'd put on a lot of size at that time, basically just be- because I was in a massive calorie surplus, had incredible work ethic and consistency. And that's what happens. But these guys in the, in the office at Forks Over Knives were, you know, encouraging me to follow the advice in the film, which is eating whole plant foods. And so... I decided, you know, out of respect for them, and I, I was working for the film, that I would give it a try. And that's what I think for so many people, they're, they're unwilling to do. They're unwilling to give up the, uh, the, the, the excess protein, all the protein powders and sports supplements, and just give real food a try. And so I took Dr. Campbell's plant-based nutrition course through the Center for Nutrition Studies at Cornell University. I started hanging out more with Campbell and Esselstyn and Rip Esselstyn and uh, surrounding myself with a slightly different crowd as far as nutritional information and guidance, uh, more registered dietitians like Brenda Davis and Juliana Hever and and people who like really work in, in this space uh, where I didn't have to just rely on my work ethic anymore, even you know, eating like seven cliff bars a day and and five oh, you wow. know vega protein drinks a day. Like I was starting to follow more nutritional science approaches. This is about 10 years ago. And and I credit that. That was 2012. I credit those individuals for helping me get off of all the the protein supplements and everything else. And I actually haven't used any supplements aside from vitamin B12 and occasionally vitamin D or, or DHA EPA for the last decade. And I've been over the years, the biggest and strongest I've ever been even into my forties. But I, like you, I, I, I credit those individuals or like that, that individual credits you. There, there are certain people who come into your life at the right time who, who say, you know what, th- this is a different path, even though I know you've already done this, you've already, you know, you've, you've been uh, experienced or accomplished doing this. I mean, that, that's just like current Olympic athletes. They're already the best in the world. You know, what, what, what do they have to improve? Well, there's some long-term health benefits. There's, there's uh, recovery benefits. There's uh, you know, energy benefits, digestion benefits. There's, 
you know, nutrient to calorie ratio benefits, um, the exploration of different types of cuisines and, and diverse palate experiences. There's all these things to still be experienced. And so, uh, I think having that impact on people, whether it's through conversation or book or magazine or a TED talk or whatever is, is really, really beneficial. And just to remember who those people are in our lives and reflect back on those experiences where this was a moment for me, you know, and, uh, and I think many of the athletes we talk to have that as well. They've either been inspired by someone or they've, they've inspired a lot of people and, and that's what makes like their stories really unique too. Yeah, they really do. You know, I want to jumping into the book. I'm a big science nerd. I'd love in chapter two, understanding the power behind the food, macronutrients, micronutrients, and calorie density. And we talked a little bit about Rich Roll. We're, we're introduced to him in there. And you say the place to begin is with understanding macro and micronutrients and calorie density, which I just mentioned. If you can just talk a little bit about those, I think a lot of my audience knows, but I, I, the calorie density thing, I think is, is often overlooked. And I think you, you talk about how important that is. Yeah. So Obviously, you know, the macronutrients, uh, protein, carbohydrates, and fats. And, you know, for us in our book, we talk about how the majority of calories should come from complex carbohydrates, the ones that have the most micronutrients, the vitamins, the minerals, and the antioxidants, the fiber, the phytonutrients, very water rich, very hydrating, um, alkaline forming, like these, these are the, these great foods rather than hyper fixating on one particular macronutrient protein, we can really, really diversify here. And so, so macronutrients being protein, carbohydrates, and fats, and micronutrients, vitamins, and minerals, but understanding for any given food, what their nutrients per calorie are. And so the calorie density scale is so fascinating because you can look on one end, for example, and have leafy green vegetables that are about 60 to 100 calories per pound, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're so few calories, so low wow. density. Amazing. I mean, high in nutrients, right? The highest aggregate nutrient density index score, the highest amount of nutrients per calorie, leafy greens. But again, on one end, let's just round up to 100, 100 calories per pound. On the other end of the scale, 4,000 calories per pound for oil, pure fat, you know, it's pure fat. And uh, regardless of the kind of oil, 4,000 calories per pound. And we know from the earlier conversation we had, Lisa, all restaurant food, prepared food, all of that's loaded with oil. Anytime you're going out to, out to eat, um, and then furthermore, salads and salad dressings and 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 putting oil on a you know on a pan for cooking, all that stuff. You're just getting this 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 calorie density. It's 40 times greater than leafy greens. So back to the beginning of the scale. Then you go into other vegetables like cruciferous vegetables, perhaps broccoli and such, at about at about um, 200 calories per pound. And then fruits about 300 calories per pound. And then you get into some root vegetables like potatoes and such, 350, 400 calories per pound. And most legumes and grains uh, around 500 calories per pound. But then compare that to, uh, to nuts and seeds at 2,800 calories per pound. Nut butters, almond butter, peanut butter, um, seeds of, of any type, seed butter, super, super calorie dense. And, uh, and that's why they're not at the, they're, they're not the centerpiece of our meals. We're not making a meal around sesame seeds. You know, we're not <laughs> building a meal around cashew butter. I mean, this would just be insane to do that. And, and then you look at, um, so again, almost every vegetable I've, I've, or any, any plant food I've mentioned is basically 500 calories per pound or less aside from nuts and seeds. But then you get into animal protein, which is around, you know, a thousand, uh, 1200, 1400 calories per pound. So, 
anywhere from what is that, you know, 12, 14 times more calorie dense than leafy greens, seven, eight times more calorie dense than other vegetables, you know, you know, I don't know, double the calorie density or two to three times the calorie density of, of most things like rice and beans and, and lentils and potatoes and all of that. And so you can see how that can add a lot of excess calories to a diet. And then, uh, processed foods, junk foods are, again, somewhere in the 2,300, 2,500 calorie per pound range, oftentimes because of the oil, right? Like the oil is so high in calorie density at 4,000 calories per pound. No matter what you add it to, it's going to make that food um, super, super calorie dense. So being aware of that is so fundamentally important when you're designing a meal plan. Because, you know, and I said this, I think... um, I think I said this during the Rich Roll podcast too, that you could, you could describe a diet that's, you know, 4,000 calories per day. And, and people would be like, who eats that much? Who can take in 4,000 calories per day? And it's often the people who are asking that question, who are doing just that. Because if you look at the foods that we eat every day, so many of them in, in the standard American diet, so many of them are processed. They're, w- whether they are, um, uh, things with added sugar, oil, and salt, or white flour, or packaged pastries, and, you know, um, those types of foods, uh, donuts, cakes, whatever, Um, you know, white refined breads, super calorie dense, and not a lot of nutrition in there. Uh, I mean, one could eat an entire loaf, and I've done it many times, entire loaf (laughs) of French bread, well over a thousand calories. And, uh, you know, and that's, that's just in one little loaf of French bread. And, uh, you know, that kind of stuff is is important to be aware of because uh, if we understand what our calorie expenditure is, which you can find out with the Harris-Benedict equation or Harris-Benedict calculator, factoring in based on your gender, age, height, weight, and very importantly, activity level, how many calories you're expending, and then use something like Chronometer or MyFitnessPal to document your calorie intake, you can say, wow, no wonder I wasn't losing any weight or burning any fat. I was eating a calorie surplus of a thousand calories per day, uh, you know, beyond what I expend every single day, which is 7,000 per week. And, you know, uh, you you know, almost 30,000 per month or whatever the case is. And, and this stuff adds up. This stuff is important and you can determine why you are or are not, uh, building muscle and, and gaining muscle size as well. And that was a real, a real wake up, uh, wake up call for me too. When I first got into lifting, I was, I I, I made zero progress over an entire year because I was training so much. I was burning so many calories. I wasn't consuming enough to elicit a response where I'm going to put on muscle mass. And and this happens all the time with people, especially men, you know, they're so enthusiastic about getting bigger and stronger, but they never put themselves in a position in a calorie surplus to do it. Or people who have new year, new year's resolutions, that fade away by January 17th because uh, people are unaware of what their real calorie consumption versus expenditure is. And their goal typically around that time of year is to burn fat or lose weight. And it's just not happening. And the patience isn't there. And the frustration sets in when all they really had to do was become aware of what their food intake is and, and beverage intake, by the way, you know, a lot of extra sugar consumed through fountain sodas and sports drinks and flavored beverages and all of that. And if we can, we can just understand that calorie density and, and nutrient density scale, um, we can have so much control. And I think that's the key word, Lisa. Right. Having control is it's empowering, right? Oh yeah. And as a bodybuilder, that's 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 what we 
that's what we did. You know, I mean, we, we would build muscle and, and, and get a certain look, and then we'd have to burn fat uh, to get ready to get on the bodybuilding stage. But we had control over it. I could go from 195 pounds down to 175 pounds to get on stage and have all the, the, the low body fat and all the muscle definition and, and all that showing because, because I just, I knew how to do it. And I'd come across people like, oh man, I wish I could lose 20 pounds. Well, you can, if you can, if you understand the calorie density and nutrient density relationship and, and what your actual expenditure is, and, and you have that control. And it's kind of, uh, it's really an amazing feeling to have. I bet. Oh, that is amazing. You know, I want to talk about in chapter three, it's time to have the protein talk. It must drive you nuts. <laughs> Speaking of nuts, they're a good source of protein. Yeah. Uh, am I getting enough? Pro- but I'm not going to get enough protein. And what do you say to that? Because you yeah. must hear it a lot. Yeah, I've been hearing it for a quarter century. Uh, <laughs> I, for, Lisa, for 25 years, um, because I've always been an athlete and I've been you know plant-based for that long. And the short answer is, if you, if you reach your calorie intake needs, you're going to reach your protein intake needs. And that is just because of the macronutrient, uh, or the, the, the makeup of food, you know, the, the breakdown, macronutrient breakdown of a given food that's going to have some level of amino acids, uh, building blocks of protein, carbohydrates and fats. And if you reach your calorie needs, that's the important part. If you reach your calorie needs, you will reach your protein needs. And that's largely because we don't actually need that much protein. Um, even as athletes, and it's maybe, you know, I think most people uh, agree it's like for athletes, 1.2 to 2.0 uh, grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. If you're I- inactive, it's, you know, 0.8 or something much, much lower. And this is achieved by essentially everyone. I like to say that um, for the most part, uh, for most people, almost everyone you've ever met, anyone you've ever met walking down the street, uh, in school, in work, family, uh gets more protein than they need. Uh, but, but very few of us, very few of us have ever, ever met anyone with a true protein deficiency. Uh, that, that tends to happen if people are, are starving, don't have access to um, adequate calories, living in developing countries or have some sort of eating disorder or um, a food desert, even here in the US, uh, and don't have access to proper, proper nourishment. No. But, it, but it's few and far between, to be honest. I mean, most people oh, yeah. we've met, most people we've ever met in our entire lives get more of this nutrient than we need. Yet it is this incredibly revered nutrient that the more is better and that you have to get as much of it as possible. And, and you probably appreciated the, uh, the background of that um, in the book, the history of that, where, yeah, you know, it's post-interesting post-world war, the rise of television, the rise of microwaves and TV dinners and family dinners and masculinity and, you know, men wanting to provide, uh, copious amounts of this of this nutrient through uh, whether, whether it's hunting or going to the market and bringing back you know large amounts of of meat to last for a long period of time. This was like considered the food that is going to sustain us and and all of this stuff. And then and then came the major marketing and the the milk does the body good and beef it's what's for dinner and the um, the, the way encasing protein powder through the by. Bi- uh, as a byproduct of the process of cheese making and selling that largely to the fitness crowd through the muscle magazines in the seventies, eighties, and nineties that created this greater than $100 billion sports nutrition industry, which is mostly stuff that we really don't need because again, we're already, we're already consuming more of it. And one of my favorite things is there's this line that I wrote in the book that says something like, you're not buying a protein bar. 
you're being marketed at a carbohydrate bar wrapped in protein bars clothing, or in yes. some cases, a fat bar. And, and because we, because we know that there are, you know, four calories per gram, uh, for carbohydrates and protein and nine calories per gram of fat, we can actually look at the label and you see this bar that says it's a protein bar. It's a labeled protein bar and it has 12 grams of protein, but it has 29 grams of carbohydrate. So, so do the math. They're both are four calories per gram. Is this a protein bar? Absolutely not. It has, t- you know, two times more carbohydrate than protein in it. And same with, and I have some bars at home I've been looking at just for the fun of it, doing lots of these different interviews. I found another one that, that was, you know, it's advertised a protein bar, but really it's a fat bar because there's more than double the amount of calories per gram in fat. So you look at the number of the grams of fat and, and multiply that by, by nine calories per gram and realize, wait a minute, there's more calories in this bar coming from fat than anything else. Carbohydrate is second. And then protein is last, yet it's marketed as a protein bar because that sells because we've been convinced. We said we've been convinced that this nutrient that almost every single person we've ever met gets enough of, we've been convinced that we need more of it. And that is where the marketing of protein has been so brilliant. It has, uh, it, it has just taken over uh, fast food industry, restaurant industry, billboards, television, radio, this is something, um, sports nutrition, this, the, this idea that we need so much of it. And the, and the, the real reality is, and you mentioned this earlier uh, about, about food, some of the, I don't know, the total utility of the food. Like you were talking about, um, I think some of those, those pizzas or whatever, yes. yeah, uh, but there, there's, there's other things that come with, there's, there's baggage that comes with any kind of food. Um, sometimes really good baggage, like high levels of antioxidants, fiber, water, phytonutrients, you know, blueberries, for example. But when you look at protein, we're trying to optimize our protein intake, right? We need as much of it as possible. So we go for whey and casein and meat and all of this, but what else comes with it? Dietary cholesterol, oftentimes saturated fat, artery clogging material that builds up plaque along artery walls and damages the lining of arteries, endothelial cells, and, 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 and restricts blood flow, comes with excess calorie intake. We already established that it's, you know, it's a 12 times the calorie density of leafy greens or, or five or six times the calorie density of most vegetables or fruit or two or three times the calorie density of other foods like beans and lentils and rice that are common in most cultures around the world and are the healthiest foods in most cultures around the world, living to the longest lived people. But, but we, we get all this extra baggage. We say, you look, I optimized my protein intake. I got so much of it with forgetting all about the, the saturated fat, dietary cholesterol, or the fact that it's a class one or class two, a carcinogen, you know, established by the world health organization and taking in these really, really problematic foods all in the name of more protein. And I think that's a very, very important chapter. And again, I just want to repeat it. Lisa, and this is the, this is just the real reality that if you meet your calorie needs, you'll meet your protein needs too, because nobody's eating grapefruit only. No one's eating, um, celery only. No one's eating just slices of oranges only or an all mango diet. Um, no one's doing that. That's not sustainable. Uh, people just aren't doing it. People are eating a, diver- a di- you know, some sort of diversity of food, not as diverse as we'd like. Most people, most Americans eat about 10 or 12 things per day, which means one or two, uh, fruits, one or two vegetables, if, if, if that, um, one or two types of meat, you know, one or two dairy products, maybe an egg product, whatever the case is. We're not eating, um, 
always the best uh, diverse choices, but um, the fact is we eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, snacks, and sometimes dessert. There's a variety of, of food that gets consumed in there. And so in that diversity, in that variety, even if it's limited, you get so many different amino acids, you get all the building blocks of protein, you get all the essential amino acids, and you get all the protein you need. Yeah. You know, one of the things that drives me nuts is the school system with their flipping milk. And my daughter, people look at her like she has 10 heads. She'll be like, you know, milk's not good for you. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? Where'd you learn that? And even her flipping health teacher, like it drives me nuts. Like she'll come home. She'll be like, mom, you should, let me tell you, you're going to get mad. I'm going to tell you what I learned in health class. I'm like, why are they still teaching the four food groups? <laughs> it's just so maddening. How do you yeah. deal with that? Cause it's, it's just like the paradigm is shifting, but yet it, it's such an establishment thing, like in the school system. And why are they selling cartons of milk and why are they? Yeah. Well, the answer is, is two words is government subsidies. Yes. Uh, we talked about that, I think a little bit in the book, but I also yeah, talked did. more about it in a, this this paper I wrote on the the true cost of food. Um, I wrote this article. It's like 35 page article. It's on veganstrong.com. I meant to write one of these 800 words art- articles on during the middle, like the, the height of the pandemic a year ago about the true cost of food to try to help people who are in economic struggles, find the most cost effective foods. And so I looked into all the different government subsidies and all this kind of stuff to determine uh, what the real cost of food is. And so what's, what's the true cost of this, of this burger that's only a dollar at the fast food restaurant, um, you know, it would certainly cost a whole lot more um, without the government subsidies. When you have to factor in raising the crops, you know, for the animals, raising the animals either in a factory farm or in, in uh, a pasture area, um, all the feed, all the water, all the supplements, all the, you know, veterinary care that may be involved in that. And then of course the slaughter and the transport and the refrigeration and the freezing and the packaging and laboring and uh, the, the the paid labor and all this stuff. I mean, these would be very, very expensive foods, but we get uh, government subsidies here and I'm sure throughout the world uh, to bring the, the cost down uh, of certain foods. So when you really look at it, when you really look at, and then you have to look at like the nutrients you get, um, you know, per percent, right? Per penny, um, how much nutrition you get per penny to determine the, the real cost of food. And, and at the end of this whole 35 page thing, I, 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 and I cited many, many resources and all of that. As it turns out, it's foods like lentils that are the most cost effective, the most beneficial. So cheap. Lentils, other beans, um, rice, oats, it's the kind of foods you'd expect. And so here it is that, that a plant-based diet is actually, um, you know, the cheapest, uh, and healthiest way to go. You just have to be willing to prepare them, prepare oats, prepare beans, prepare lentils, prepare rice. But these are foods that again, eaten throughout. Um, cultures all over the world and the healthiest, longest lived populations too. But to answer your question, check this out, Lisa. This is really interesting. Um, you mentioned the school and uh, and the uh, the milk there. So I worked at a at a summer camp, and uh, I, w- I became I was a, a, a camper, and then became a counselor, and then a junior staff, and then the adult staff. You know, something I did for years. And so I was a staff member involved in the planning of this summer camp in my home state of Oregon that I did every year through the 4-H program. Oh, cool. And check this out. If we wanted orange juice for the kids, we had to pay for it. If we wanted milk, it was free. It was donated. And this was also a 4-H program, which is a lot of 4-H is raising animals. Not all of it. There's there's art, there's poetry, there's public speaking, there's crafts, there's you know all kinds of areas of 4-H. And I was in it for a very, very long time, so I, I know it well. But, you know, they're typically farm kids, you know, typically rural communities. And I grew up on a farm and that's how I got involved in it. But here we were, 
you know, kids as, as young as I think the youngest kids at camp were third grade. Uh, but if we could, we, we got them hooked on milk, they're going to be hooked on it for the rest of their life, right? Whether they get it at home or not. And it's free, it's free to pump dairy into, uh, into, into kids, which is also interesting because as you know, as humans, we're the only species who continue to breastfeed as adults. Uh, we're, we're the only ones who continue to consume milk after weaning. And also we're the only ones that consume another species milk. You know, I joked on a podcast the other day, like, why cows? Like, wouldn't it be a lot easier with giraffes? Like, easier on your <laughs> neck. You just stand there. It's right there. I understand so why funny. you wouldn't you wouldn't go with rats. You know, with some of the disease, perhaps, <laughs> or or cats because they'll claw you, they'll scratch you, and you don't want to necessarily you you know trespass this relationship with, with man's best friend with dogs. Uh, why cows? You know why this one is one particular animal, and and then we're and then most of the world is is lactose intolerant. Um, I also just saw a meme for who knows the third or fourth time saved it to my phone last night. It says, you know, you're not, uh, you're not lactose intolerant. You're just not a baby calf. You know, <laughs> you're, you're not, you're not a calf. Like the, the, you're not lactose intolerant. You're just, you're just not that animal. So, uh, so yeah, it's a really, it's a really interesting and, and mysterious thing. And, and I think a lot of people don't stop to think about that. I still have friends and it, which is funny, you know, friends that, that, that have been some of my best friends for decades, they've known me my, my whole life as I've written five books now on this subject, but still they'll, they'll call me on the phone and you're just making small talk. And yeah, I got to go, got to go get, you know, gallons of milk, you know, got to get the essentials, you know, if it's bad weather or whatever, you know, the snow coming, got to go get gallons of milk and, 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 and friends who uh, drink glasses of milk just, just with dinner. And it's just kind of, it, it's, it's strange behavior to me, partly because I've been away from it for so long. Um, and, uh, but the conditioning is stronger than ever. And this idea that you may not be active at all. You may be someone who watches television and movies, not, a, not, not just a non-athlete, but just non-active. You sit at a computer all day. Um, you sit in a chair, an office for work. Um, you commute in a car for hours per day, whatever the case is, you're very, very inactive yet. You've been convinced that you need to reach for a food or beverage that's packed full of protein. So you'll go for protein water, you'll go for protein popcorn, you'll go for milk, and you'll you'll drink as much of it as possible, even if you're, you know, m- maybe quite overweight or, or have b- a bunch of health concerns, because the marketing has been so strong, so effective, that this is something that you need to have. And if you can take a step back, you know, close your eyes, be objective. Why, as an adult human being, Am I consuming the breast milk of another species that statistically, based on all the, the studies we, we, we now have and the work that we've done, we know that it's probably going to contribute to adverse health implications in my life, perhaps even being a major contributor to breast or prostate cancer or colorectal cancer, um, uh, certainly contributing to obesity and, and other health problems including um, even breathing and asthma and mucus buildup and, and, and allergies and all of that. Why do we do it? And, and, and can you bring yourself to, to, to remove it from your diet and just give it a try by listing your favorite plant-based foods? Like we talked about right. in the beginning and yes. try to replace it with something else. And like we talked about, as far as making adjustments or transitions, sure. Start with a glass of, oat milk or soy milk or almond milk or whatever, but then realize that you also don't need to just have these glasses of milk every day. 
I mean, I can't think aside from maybe some chocolate almond milk because, um, you know, it tastes good. I, I can't think of a time when I would just have the idea, the notion that I should go pour a glass of milk, even if it's plant-based, like why, what, why not just drink water or exactly. drink or, 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 or some other, you know, low calorie beverage. Why are we, why are we doing this? And I think we've seen that start asking those questions more and more. Yeah. I had a friend over the other day and she's like, do you have anything to drink other than water? I said, nope. <laughs> and then I said, wait, there's some almond milk in the fridge. There's only a little bit, like my husband puts a little bit in his oatmeal or something, but no, we're not drinking glasses of anything except for water, except he makes this great tea. I know everybody's heard this, but he takes fresh ginger, cardamom, pepper, cinnamon, turmeric every day. And I said, you're going to live forever. Yeah, he's amazing. Um, you know, it's interesting too with the milk. Uh, my husband and I could be watching the most engrossing television show or movie. And then if someone starts drinking milk, we're like, oh God, you know, like it totally takes us out of the moment. It's just so, we just find it so disgusting. And and people listening are like, I drink milk. Well, you know, listen, listen to what Robert is saying. It's something you really want to remove. Now, I kept you a little longer than I said, but I do want to ask you about Robert's rule of three grocery shopping lists. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I do a lot of the grocery shopping these days uh, for my household because I work, you know, kind of, you know, I don't know, I kind of work all day every day, but it's on my own schedule where right. my wife works like for, the, <laughs> for, for the university and she has set hours, uh, whatever that is, nine to six or whatever. So I do a lot of the grocery shopping. And so my rule of three is that I'm a big fan of diversity and nutrition. Um, especially as seasons change and as, you know, your desires change and palate changes and especially summer and spring and these different flavors that come about or all the different uh, squash and things that are available in the fall. And so uh, you want to be prepared. A- a- again, like I said, you know, if it's in your house, it's in your mouth and, and you want to um, have the best options available. So, um, so I like to go grab three items from every category of, I established like, I don't know how many it was, like 20 different categories. Um, ends up being a lot of things, but it's like three different leafy greens, three different fruits, three different frozen foods, three different beverages, um, three different uh, legumes, you know, um, three different, uh, it could even be some packaged goods. Um, but it's just having a variety of of each one of those categories so that you're not like, you know, I used to joke that, Growing up in school, we eat these red, delicious apples. There's nothing delicious about them. These are the apples that waxy, they bruise easily. This is our introduction to fruit as kids in public school system. So like try something else. Have three. I mean, I've got a bunch of different fruits at home right now. Um, Blueberries and strawberries and mango and pineapple and cherries and, you know, nectarines and all that bananas, oranges. Uh, But, but anyway, the idea is to get three different things because you might not resonate with kale, right? You you see from the Andy score, the aggregate nutrient density index by Dr. Joel Furman that kale has the highest score, the most nutrients per calorie. Go for it. But what if you don't like kale? Then it's a chore to eat. It's a burden. You're like, you have a bad relationship with it. Uh, but go with uh, collard greens or spinach or watercress or, or something something else. And so it's it's providing options. You know, what if you don't like uh, cashews? I mean, they're kind of soft. They're they have a certain unique flavor and maybe they have these benefits, but, you know, try almonds, try walnuts, try pistachios, try something different um, or, or packaged foods that are kind of like, you know, a little bit of a staple, like a, a soup or a pasta and it's minimally processed and it still has all these health benefits. Even if it has some processing, it's, it's still really good. And what you pair with it, you know, salad or other things you pair with it that then bring out the more nutritional benefits. 
uh, or even pizza, if pizza's done the right way, you know, with, with, um, with spinach and artichoke hearts and, and tomatoes and black olives and bell peppers and all of that. Uh, so it's, it's getting all those different things. So when you go to the grocery store, especially if you're kind of, you may be reading the plant-based athlete for the first time, you're like, you're new to a plant-based diet. You're like, where do I begin? It's starting there and then just replenishing things as you go. It's not saying, you know, go drop $200 every time you go to the store to replenish <laughs> three of every single thing. Right. It's as you kind of go through that initial inventory of your supply in your pantry and your freezer and your refrigerator and your countertop, um, start replenishing things and even try something different. Now you try three different leafy greens. Now try a fourth one, a fifth one, you know, sixth one and find what sticks. You know, a lot of people probably just the you know, standard American diet uh, a follower perhaps doesn't know about um, sweet potatoes or yams or or Japanese sweet potatoes or purple potatoes because we just don't. We we only eat one or two fruits, one or two vegetables, and we have our favorite meats and cheeses and and processed foods and and restaurants and all of that. But try those things, and that's that's the whole idea: is be creative, be curious, and you start trying different things. You you may realize, wow, I never even heard of that fruit before, but now it's my favorite. Um, or I never even, I'd never seen that. Uh, I mean, I've met a lot of adults who never have tried avocado before, uh, except for maybe they got guacamole added with their chips and salsa at a restaurant sometime, but you know, never have purchased avocado or, or papaya and it's great digestive enzymes. Um, so it's, it's trying, it's trying different things. That's the whole point of the grocery shopping list is to be prepared. And then from there you can batch cook. I talk a lot about that in that section. Like if you have batch uh, amounts, you know, a, a resealable container of brown rice, of lentils, of black beans, of uh, pinto beans. Um, maybe it's prepared tofu, tempeh, um, a large thing of oatmeal, whatever it is. You can you can just mix and match, and you can reheat things. You can make burrito bowls or tacos or um, or different salad greens or fruit salad mixes or whatever. The idea is is that it's already ready for you, and then you don't have to think. Oh, I got to scramble. What can I get? And I'm going to make a poor nutritional choice here because I'm just craving sugar, oil, and salt. When really we have all these, even, even pasta. Uh, my wife and I will make that pasta that could last for days or anytime we make our homemade pizza, we do get the crust from Trader Joe's, but it's a vegan crust, but all the rest we do our, ourselves, all the vegetables. It's basically like a salad on bread, <laughs> to be honest. It really is like a salad on bread. Pizza can be a healthy food. Um, if you limit the oil, limit the vegan cheeses, you know, that would be oil rich and those kind of things and load it up with, with green and, and yellow and red vegetables and all of that. Um, we'll make like extra pizzas to last for days. I mean, what's better than cold pizza in the morning? Oh my goodness. I got to come over. <laughs> I'll be knocking on your door. You're like, how'd you get my address? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, or, or this summer pasta salad, which is one of the recipes in the book yeah. Ooh, um, yes, with like this, this red lentil pasta and it's cold pasta with tomatoes and artichoke hearts and, and black olives and, um, you know, uh, t- red tomatoes and all this. It's, it's great. It's, it's fantastic. And that can last for days. And then you, you, you just have this diversity available and your favorite foods available because you've chosen your favorite foods at the store. They're, the Robert's rule of three is you pick your favorite items. And then from there you ex- expand and try a fourth, fifth, sixth item within that category. I'm like, wow, I had no idea. I'd never tried jack, jackfruit before my whole life. I didn't know I really liked it or that, or that avocado is so versatile and can be used in 
all these different ways, right? I never tried anything besides just regular plain um, spaghetti at the store. I never knew you could make pasta noodles out of out of lentils or black beans or um, or anything like that, and and uh, um, spinach or whatever, and try different things. That, that's the whole concept behind it. You know what I've discovered recently that I love is cassava flour pasta. And it's just cassava flour. And I'm not saying it's the healthiest thing ever, but it's nice, you know, for it, it's just delicious. You know, it's nice to have options. Right. I want to do, I do want to mention a few of your recipes. I made the buckwheat pancakes. Those were amazing. And the high energy fruit smoothie with greens. I want to make the finger licking friggin' good French toast. And I have to say, you guys are so creative. Kale, yeah, Caesar salad. That is so funny. Uh, the spaghetti squash with tempeh, bolognese sauce, uh, Mediterranean good bowl, vegan taco bowl, anything with taco seasoning or yeah. that sort of Mexican flavor. I'm all about that. The book is so good. We, there's so much more I want to talk about. I'd love for you to come back. We didn't talk about finding your why, which I talk about in my book as well. It's so important. The book, again, is The Plant based athlete, a game-changing approach to peak performance. Robert, how do we learn all about your book and about you? And you're doing so much great stuff. I got to go read your articles. Yeah. Thanks, Lisa. Appreciate it. And yeah, we, we can we, we can uh, chat again. And I, I love talking about finding your why and maximizing the 1,440 minutes we have every day. And that's how, that's how a, a, a kid like me, a former uh, farm kid uh, turned champion vegan bodybuilder, to, turned New York Times bestselling author, number one international bestseller, uh, and, and landed all these different book deals in, in Taiwan and Italy and Germany uh, and just in recent weeks. Like it's because of that finding your why and, and because I wanted to make a difference in the world around me from when I was a kid and I've just worked at it day after day after day. So I'd love to come back and chat about that. Yes, absolutely. I know we did kind of a deep dive today in the, in the plant-based nutrition and macro micronutrient stuff and all that. And, and everything from the government subsidies uh, to the reasons why we obsess about protein. But uh, you can find more about about me and my work and my and, and my book that I co-authored with Matt Frazier on veganbodybuilding.com. It's a website I've been running for almost 20 years now. And so veganbodybuilding.com. And, uh, and also my co-author from No Meat Athlete made a special book page for us at book.nomeatathlete.com where you awesome. can learn about the athletes in the books and and some of the, the the stories that are in there and who endorsed the book and uh, just some more information about what it's all about. And of course, uh, my name, Robert Cheek, just like your face with an E on the end, you can find me all over social media uh, posting kind of silly memes about the uh, <laughs> about why we're, why we're still <laughs> consuming meat, milk, and eggs um, when we really don't have to these days. So uh, you can find me on social media there as well. You are just fantastic. I can't wait for you to come back. There's still so much to talk about. I really appreciate you coming on. Well, I appreciate you having me, Lisa. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for the opportunity to share with you and, and your audience today. Thank you so much for listening to Talk Healthy Today. Please do rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And also, if you want some behind the scenes on Talk Healthy Today or a chance monthly to win my book, Clean Eating Dirty Sex, which is a memoir, cookbook, healthy lifestyle guide. It's The title is just a play on words. Please go to www.lisadavismph.com. Sign up for my newsletter. And once a month, you'll be getting some great information as well as being entered into a contest to win my book. So again, go to www.lisadavismph.com. Get more on Talk Healthy Today and keep coming back. There's always great information. Thank you.